0: This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Limit Up Podcast. I'm Dan Hodgman, and uh, as always, sitting down with me is Jack Pelzer, who's not just going to be one of the co-hosts today, but uh, we're flipping seats here, and I'm going to be interviewing Jack today. Jack, how are you? You know, I'm doing just fine. I'm set for my turn on this. Um, I had to look
1: over my own resume, et cetera, because I've reached the age now where things, uh, you know, from the distant past seem a little bit in the ether, so to speak. So thanks thanks for having me on this show, Dan.
0: I'm glad one of us has looked at your, uh, your resume. Um, <laughs> 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 Fortunately, I think I know you well enough to uh, have a plethora of questions. Well, right on. Well, I think it's good
1: to do this too, because I don't know, it gives people a better idea of who we are or why we are talking
0: about markets on there. Right. It helps kind of validate us a little bit, I guess. And every so often, it's kind of nice to be sitting in the interviewee seat and uh, kind of telling your own story. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on just around the world. Uh, today is November 17th. And uh, I just learned an interesting fact that not only is today just November 17th, but the first ever confirmed case of COVID 19 uh, was in China on November 17th. We are one year into um, this crazy virus. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's a wild stat to bring out. It, it, you know, on one hand, it seems like it's been 10 years. On the other hand, yeah, like November 17th sounds about right. And it's crazy to think about. You know, all the signs that were there. I can think about even, I was driving somewhere at like the beginning of February last year. There was like, I don't know, like an NPR story from like Wuhan. And just, you know, hearing that things were very bad there, you know, those apocalyptic pictures of people spraying the streets and stuff. And then, and
0: it was kind of like, wait, what's going on over there? You started to see like, all sorts of wild stuff, and I, you know, even go back into like December last year, December and January, we, we were starting to hear it. I think um, Kobe Bryant passed away in January of 2020, and um, there's a picture I've seen recently um, in the Wall Street Journal. the uh, The front page of the Wall Street Journal was a big picture of Kobe right on front, and in the side, there was uh, coronavirus fears ramp up or something along those lines. I mean, it goes back to January. um, And the Dancing Bear was uh, a regular at the time on um, the market forecast. And he kept saying, be careful for this. The markets are going to finally tumble. And that's where he got his nickname, the Dancing Bear. And uh, he wasn't joking. I have a blog that I never published,
1: thankfully, in which I had a very bad take about it at the time. And so I'm glad I did not open myself. I It, it was along the lines of, you, you know, the way I am. It was along the lines of there's all these other problems in the world that, you know, you're going to get killed by an Amazon drone before right. COVID-19. And it was stupid because uh, it turned out it was a pretty big deal.
0: No doubt. So we're a year into it. Um, I think everyone's lives have essentially changed because of it. I don't know. I personally can't sit here and think of anyone whose life hasn't changed, um, even in the slightest way. Us here at Top Step, I I did a a funded trader interview today with one of our funded traders. Um, He's actually in Chicago. So it's kind of funny to interview someone from Chicago and still do it remotely. Um, But we were talking about just the fact how much things have changed. I mean, I basically haven't left Wisconsin since March other than a couple of times in the office over the summer. And that was about it.
1: And how does it feel too that, you know, since that November 17th, as long as we bring things full circle to the markets, who would have thought that we would be what, uh, 20% higher?
0: (laughs) Right. Still higher and going. I mean, just wild. And this week, you know, nothing major this week. We do have uh, around the corner, we've got Thanksgiving, um, and uh the holidays are here and 2020 is not far off from being a thing of the past. <laughs> yeah.
1: It'd be good to wipe that one from the books.
0: I'm ready to uh say 2020 make that an adjective at this point whenever something kind of goes wrong instead of saying oh Murphy's law we're going to say 2020. Yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, well let's uh let's dive into this Jack cuz I got a lot of questions. Uh we kind of teased a little something um during my interview. And uh, I'm ready to kind of dive in a little bit. You're a you're similar to me background wise, uh, suburbs of Chicago. Um, kind of grew up in a similar fashion, so I'm kind of excited to see where things meet and uh, differ. So, where do we begin?
1: Yeah, so I was born in Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> We're going right to the beginning, uh, No, but eventually I grew up in a town called River Forest, and I, I think the one of the big differences between where we grew up is I was not exposed uh really to trading Mm -hmm. none of my family so my parents both had um pretty classic professional jobs my dad's a doctor my mom's a lawyer very classic very classic river forest fair you know not shake the boat too much it's where they go to breed really get the doctors (laughs) and the lawyers (laughs) and they go there um but you know and and my dad was working for um a university health system and my mom was working for a firm uh, while I was growing up and, you know, sort of the other thing is, so I got interested a little bit in the idea of doing something different just because I saw, you know, what my, my dad did is something that, you know, I respect him so much for, but so hard where he's in a head and neck cancer surgeon. Mm -hmm. And so just, you know, very draining, like doing great things, but so many of his patients were, uh, you know, passing away constantly and just going in all hours of the night. And so that seemed very hard for me. Um, But also I feel like growing up, I didn't really have any idea of sort of entrepreneurial or business type things. You have this idea of like, you know, what's a businessman or a business person or something like that, right? which is a completely different track. You're like, Oh, that's just something you can do. Um, But yeah, I was always super interested in, um, Math and music. Growing up, I was a uh, not to brag. I was a state champion mathlete.
0: Were you really? <laughs>
1: I was on the team uh, of people. <laughs> Fenwick High School. Uh, I didn't contribute too much. I was a freshman at that point. That was the only state they won. As I got older, I wasn't like <laughs> taking on the mantle.
0: Jack wasn't leading the team. Wasn't leading the charge. But we won't hold it against him.
1: Yeah, but I mean, through that time, I was I was in the math and physics. And uh, music mostly. I was playing a lot of... Starting in high school, I was playing in um, bands and touring stuff. I grew up playing um, classical piano and then tried to do some other things. Some good, some badly as well. And that sort of continued to... uh, I, I went to college and was not super sure what I planned to do after. I think I bounced around majors a whole bunch early. I think I started in physics and that was too hard for the sort of time I
0: wanted to have in college. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go to a, uh, a a casual college either. You went to a high academic um, kind of college as well.
1: Yeah, I was at uh, Northwestern University in Evanston, and uh, I started just going down <laughs> the tiers of sciences. I think I started like in physics, and I'm like, well, then I'll do math, and then I'm like, well... Then I'll do economics. So that's eventually where <laughs> I ended up. I did uh, economics and music uh, because at the time that I was at the beginning of school was like the heyday of if you, you know, nowadays I would say to my friends, it would be like, you don't know what you want to do, go to law school. And then right. I feel like you don't know what you want to do, you go into uh, management consulting or banking. So since I was in economics, I'm like, fine, we'll do. I banking, but it's two thousand and seven right now.
0: <laughs> right. And, uh, so, so you have a music major or minor from Northwestern, and right, which one? Major yeah, or minor? I have a minor music major. Okay. In so I have a great uncle. Um, his name is Uncle Bert, and uh, he has his doctorate in music from Northwestern.
1: Hmm. Well, you will have to tell Uncle Bert. Yeah, I, the, the band that I was in in college—I was actually d- doing some like touring music stuff at the time. And the band that I was in in college actually—we uh, won the Northwestern Battle of the Bands, so we got to play uh, at Dillo Day, which is this big uh, Northwestern thing. I think we we opened, we opened for uh, Third Eye Blind for all the nineties well, people out that's there. That's
0: something to really put on the resume.
1: Yeah, there's never a good I opened
0: for Third Eye Blind. No, yeah, no big deal.
1: Kind of a big deal. Like, yeah, in 2006. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'll make very clear this wasn't the 90s. This was 2006.
0: Third Eye Blind had already retired. It was a uh, spin-off band, and there was one player left in the pan. No, I kid. Um, so graduated from Northwestern. You've got a degree in economics in 07 during just the crisis of, you know, the um, – that pandemic, I guess we could almost say, the Great Recession there. I can't imagine looking for a job at the time in um, something like economics was simple. Well, so what happened was I didn't
1: graduate. Um, I wasn't set to graduate till like 2009. So okay. I started looking at different, um, you know, ways to use an econ degree besides, you know, like, it's so competitive in some ways for certain industries especially when there's recession going on but i kind of got into the idea of applying to some trading firms because it seemed like a natural uh they did a lot of recruiting there and it was kind of like if you're a math person or if you like gambling because i had done some like i my first account um this is also very much of the time i had like a maybe a 5000 dollar brokerage account um and I lost uh, all of it, but not even in the margin way that we have a lot of people on the show. It was just like, you know, I thought I was Warren friggin' Buffett. Right. And I was <laughs> just buying. I think I've told the story before. I was just buying
0: like Bear Stearns like the whole way down. Like if I liked it at five, I'm going to want more of it at four. I'm going to love it at two. And well, I'm going to have to lose it at zero.
1: Yeah. So I got absolutely spanked, but then what was nice is I was at an internship at a, you know, uh, like boutique, like private wealth place. And they, th- after that, uh, so that summer, then I was influential in like getting them to put some uh, puts on AIG on. So I, I, I made all the money back, but it wasn't even for me. So that sucked. But that was my introduction to trading. Um, so I started, you know, applying to places. And uh, when you don't, you know, have sort of connections, just sort of do everything. And, um, I think we talked about this in some episode too, is there's a pretty standard thing where you apply to these places. And then, you know, if they like your resume, I mean, imagine now they might have you do some internet tests, but they used to bring you into places and usually take some sort of standardized test. Um, I recall that a lot, um, mm-hmm. which would range from like, you know, it makes sense too. If you're at like the floor places, they would give you a whole bunch, like a hundred pretty simple things to do, but like without a calculator, they're just trying to see if you can manage a position um, quickly and just think on your feet because that's a tough thing to learn. And then other places would ask more dependent type of firm, more complex things or stuff like that. But uh, eventually I ended up uh, getting an offer from a place called Chopper Trading, um, which is run by uh, Raj Fernando, who I hope someday we can have on the show, and that was sort of my introduction to the whole thing. So I graduated college in '09 and uh, started the glorious
0: career of a uh, night trader for a uh, proprietary trading firm. So I think it's pretty cool. I think you know a lot of our listeners going through the trading combine. If you've you know if obviously, obviously if you've done it the Essential interview process, um, for lack of better terms, is the combine. And the combine is prove you can trade. um, And then followed by prove you can manage some risk. And from there, we will back you financially. In the prop firm world, it's a little bit different. Um, There are the interview process, if we're going to hire you, that interview process is so different. Um, You know, Jack pointed out there's these standardized tests, a lot of firms do them. They do a lot of um, critical thinking on your feet. Um how fast can you react because you guys all know trading there's a lot of times there's no hesitation um then some will put bring in a whiteboard um they'll bring in a whiteboard and start throwing certain questions at you. How quickly can you deduce this equation of sorts um and it's a little different scenario so to follow it up Jack now you got hired you're now you don't run right into a night trading position right you're you're not put on the screens right away to help manage that position. There's some, there's some classing training in between.
1: Uh, Dan, there was, there was shockingly little. (laughs) I was, I, um, I did one week of days to meet the people in the group. And then the way that um, it worked out after that, then after one week of days, I just started showing up at night. And the idea was that the person they hired six months before you and the person they hired a year before you would be there to teach you on the job as it goes. So basically, always learning in that first week is so I was trading. So everything we were trading there was basically um, treasury spreads, futures versus the cash bonds in various arrangements across the yield curve. And that's not super intuitive stuff. Right. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a super clear idea. You know, bonds are such a, um, deep, a, a deep dive where I would say, even you know, by the end of the story, I'll, you know, work for six or seven years in the field. And I still feel like I textbook after textbooks of things you can know about,
0: uh, the bond basis. I mean, it's just, it just goes on and on and on. You know, that's what I think's really interesting. You and I kind of come from that background of the bond world. Um, I've said it before, my old man did bonds for 30 years and, I used to ask him a lot of questions. I mean, I, I peppered him with questions all the time. And one of them was, what the heck is a, a bond? Really what it is? What is it? Obviously, there's that idea of like, it's a, you know, it's a form of borrowing money. Um, you've got a preset interest rate on it. And if you loan that money, then you're going to get your interest. There's the simplicity of it. Yes. But when you start to truly, really do the deep dive, I've even asked my dad these questions. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Dan, sometimes... You just don't have an answer for the question. If you can understand how to trade it, if you can understand how to manage it, and uh, you can make money doing that, then you know what? You're going to be okay. That's true,
1: because most of these places, you know, when when I was there, you know, we had a guy who was like a bond quant who would send out his thoughts during the day. But, you know, one person could only be (laughs) expected to know so much about these things. And really, it's as simple as like when they hire you. What they're really hiring you to be is they have no idea if you'll be a good trader. They're hiring you to be a good night clerk for them, someone that right. can manage position. So basically, you're just learning all the the ratios of how you trade various things and how to read the P and mod or how to sort out the reports and things like that. So yeah, I just sat around <laughs> overnight there for staring at screens, taking at notes screens for a year. I mean, sometimes it was you just hours and hours of slowness surrounded by extreme
0: panic. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say panics about the only words you can use at that point. Cause, and I think it's interesting, you, you know, you've got a week in the office with these guys starting to learn things, kind of get, getting the introductions behind. And then you're working with, I would say still to, a couple relatively new people, six months in a year. That's pretty young um, in the industry. Cause I look at it, I mean, it was a year before I was even allowed to execute really live without um, someone looking over the shoulder um, so I mean that's I mean you went from driving in the school zone to the autobahn pretty quick,
1: yeah, and it, it became it, like I remember at first it was so stressful um putting on positions just like from the way of you know you would be so nervous about flipping tickets and we we were in these auto spreader groups, so the computer was legging both parts of the trade for you but you know you'd be put on if you're trading levels for like six people you'd be trading hundreds of futures at you know trying to get done at a level and uh you really didn't want to flip a ticket and I, d- I never did like a massive thing but one of the guys one of the guys I work with came in one morning and just just fed uh, I
0: think it was like $27,000 just straight through the market flipping tickets I t- so I'm trying to comprehend this because you sped sped up quick in this process um, and I don't want to leave anything behind. So you're on night shifts here. Um, At at this point, you're just kind of considered a clerk. Are you hedging positions? Are you um, actually executing based off of a, a plan or a system that the big traders wanted you to execute? Or did you have some freedom to say, Hey, I like what the market's doing here. I think we can make some money going this avenue.
1: So they leave you at first no, it's pretty much just fill the orders and if you think there's something there, talk to the person who's mm-hmm. been there longer. But yeah, over time that became prized if you had people that were um just be- you know, better at taking advantage of, you know, showing that that's when you got to see like who was going to be probably better traders. It was the people that were really taking initiative they were the people who were like not gaming there's nothing bad but just off the open trying to leg positions to get better uh spread values and things like that or just doing their own sorts of thing and that's when those people started to shine okay. um so at first probably like the first couple months no but then after that they would definitely sort of take off the trading wheels a little bit and you got a little bit more comfortable more comfortable too and the things don't move especially those spread things they don't move that much at night um, no. and if they do, you usually don't want to be
0: there for that. So let me ask you this because this was for us, it was a big deal with our bonds, um, on the Asian open, um, that Asian open always created just a huge spike in volatility. Did you guys start to know, did you have times where you really noticed like, all right, we know at this, this time there's a spike in volatility. Were you guys watching stuff like that too? Yeah,
1: there was always the Asian Open, the Europe Open, and then you know getting to six thirty or seven in Chicago time in the, in the yep. U.S. is when you would notice the spike in volatility. Yeah, um, it was always for us like when you're executing a bunch of orders for people, it was always wary uh, during the Asian Open because things were not very liquid, and if you weren't careful using the um, I don't know how I would call them besides the, the programs we were using or the, or the auto spreaders, you could really uh, F shit up, so to speak, pretty <laughs> easily. Because you because it would automatically, if you get hit somewhere or hit some level, it's going to go, you get the set. So basically we were tinkerers where, you know, you set the parameters for what the computer will do. But if you don't kind of, if you're not thinking through what that means practically, it'll give you some hell pukes man just through you know so it was always a little bit nerve-wracking doing the asian open stuff i was always more of a
0: europe open guy yeah we had uh we had a lot of guys that were doing or a few guys that were doing the auto uh spreaders on uh the euro dollar options uh or euro dollar spreads and i always found it just so much easier to be a little bit more discretionary, um, in my trading, as opposed to having to set the parameters on the auto spreaders, because, well, first off way, that one was traded. It was not uh, first in first out. It was uh, percentage based. So if there are 10 traders on, um, with 500 contracts and, um, only 10 trade, each trader only gets filled on one contract, um, as opposed to the first in first out, like we see with a lot of futures and, to watch those guys, it's just like how they set the parameters. I mean, the computer systems that they had, it was the math involved of understanding that was crazy. So at Chopper, we were probably half, half uh, tra- like our staff
1: was probably half traders, half developers. Um, I got the it was relatively small. I think by the, the by the high point of Chopper, we probably had three hundred people there, and it was. You know, the developers are working on how to make the best uh, spreaders. And just, I I don't know if everyone out there might as well just explain what an auto spreader is. Um, An auto spreader is when you're trading two products um, in a spread, and it basically keeps bid and asks hovering in each market, with the idea being that if you can get lifted on one and hit the other faster than someone else, you're already ahead on the trade. And so we were, that was kind of at the time. We're talking 2010, right? 29th or 2013, Mm -hmm. where it was really the speed wars on these sorts of things. So we spent a lot of money on development of internet and stuff like that. I'm sure I'm released by all NDAs (laughs) now, (laughs) but uh, I was, you know, I'm not telling anyone something they don't know in the industry, but, um, basically the faster you were, obviously you had a much bigger advantage in these things and Setting the parameters on a spreader, what you want is how much size you want in there, how aggressive it will be. Because like Dan was saying with the the, uh, first in, first out, uh, with the spreads, queue position is very important. So it's how fast could you keep your orders in so that you kept on going towards the head of the queue as opposed to being not aggressive and pulling them. Because if it pulls them, then you're in the back of the queue and you come down. And then you can get mishedged. So that's the dance of the spreaders. It was a very esoteric thing that I did for a number of years. And eventually, you know, wasn't for me.
0: For clarification, when Jack's talking about kind of filling uh, the bid in the offer, having orders on and the speed, if you anyone listening that you know has traded futures and you're looking at the dome and you're watching it tick up and down throughout the day even in the overnight session when things aren't moving that much it's a lot of movement that market is not sitting at one standard price and holding there for a while and if you've ever tried to um, hold an order and try and Get your fill the second it upticks or down ticks really fast, and not get it because these computers, guys like Jack, are so much faster. They have computers designed for this, and this is why I think it makes it really difficult to try and scalp because you've got these computers that are faster than the human eye can really even see the market move. Um, they recognize that movement, and that computer can instantly get on that bid and offer.
1: Yeah, it's a very it's a different sort of trading too than. Um, You know, coming to the top step, and we'll get to how I got here at some point. But um, I've had to learn a lot about uh, the best practices for directional retail trading, the stuff Hogue says about, you know, asymmetric risk and things like that. Because the way we were trading was not that, it was fade, fade, fade. It works X percent of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Blow out once per month or whatever it is. Right. It was because we, we were trading these spreads too. Like they should, you know, there's only so much that a 10 year future should dislodge from a, you know, 10 year cash bond or whatever else, right? They're right. If you're long one, short the
0: other, but you put enough size on, you can really hurt. Right. And you're, you're not looking to catch a full run on an entire day. Your systems are, uh, you're looking to trade a little bit of size, catch, Small moves and lock in those profits. All right. So let's kind of get back to your path here. Uh, before we get way, 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 way laid. Um,
1: how long were you on nights? So on nights for a year, and then I went back and forth for another six months. So like, you know, going a month on, a month off, because I was trading with another guy who started at the same time. We were trading a clerk account. But so then I got my own account um January of twenty eleven. So at the beginning of that year, that's when I had my own
0: so you're about 18 months in and you got your own account. Yeah.
1: And um, that was super exciting at the time. You know, it's all you want. You want to get off those damn nights. Um, yeah. And y- you want to do th- the same dream that everyone else has that people get in the trading, especially since the, um, you know, the firm I was at was really killing it at the time. And, you know, you see what everyone's P&Ls are and you want to get in there and you want to, you want to be involved. <laughs> you you want to be, be one, one of those. And so, yeah. And that was, a great time. And it was, a, I was lucky enough to get kind of a fast start by virtue of the markets. And as the old you know, saying goes, the first year that you're
0: trading your accounts, always the easiest. Yeah. So, Sounds about right. It's like that first trade you put on, you make money and all of a sudden that's all you're thinking about. Um And you were still trading. Once you get your own account, you're still trading um, the spreads. Yeah. I lost a little money trading spoos on the side. Um, I, eh,
1: Dane, eh, like I don't want to even think about how much I would just kind of f around with that when I was in a position. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was so, but
0: but but yeah, tra-
1: trading the spreads, trading the flies, um, going from a
0: treasury guy and then trying to jump in the spoos a little bit makes uh, it's a whole different world. Oh yeah, I don't know why I did. It that. took me. It took me a while to go from the treasuries to spoos. I mean, I watched the spoos all day, but going from trading. Looking at them to trading them was a whole different animal. I mean, and that's why I think we say all the time is, you know, have one or two products that you're comfortable with. And if you re- if you really want to look elsewhere, take your time. Don't rush into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Also, it wasn't, it wasn't doing spread. So it was just, you know, completely right. different than, you know, you got to learn how to trade uh, the product you're
0: doing. You don't always have an advantage in something else. So you guys have that freedom to kind of, if you wanted to jump into something else, you guys had that freedom?
1: We could, and pe- some people did. Some people traded the cattle crush on, you know, broker techs. So, so we were working on a proprietary platform, right? Um, mm-hmm. It was built for... It, you could put any product in there, but we were built... Like, the whole competitive advantage of the firm was trading treasury spreads uh, yeah. against cash bots. And it was working really well. Like, that was what was nice about being at that place in that time and get to see it. I mean, they were, you know, we were taking party buses to the final four and people were flying, you know, private to the Olympics and stuff like that. And it was a cool thing to see. I was just starting, but it was definitely like, it was interesting. I noticed.
0: It it really is amazing. I mean, you see sometimes in the movies, some of these cool things that the, the trading world provides and it's it's definitely there for people. People do definitely have those opportunities of lifestyle to live. But on the flip side, you know, those guys... It, it, they climb. They climb to the top, and they f- can fall down very fast.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a sort of a zero sum <laughs> game. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never on top for long if you're not innovating what you're doing. Because, like, once it gets easy to make money doing something, I mean, it's going to get bred out. I mean, we had a bunch of people sit around doing this, and once again, speeds something that's easy in some ways. Um, you know, just reading articles how you know, like Citadel now, it's things have sort of moved from speed to intelligence speed or, you know, stuff like that. Right. And um, it became increasingly our,
0: our fixed costs were incredibly high. Right. That's what I wanted to ask you. That's what I wanted, to, you know, a lot of listeners to understand. Being at the big prop, you know, the big prop firm here, you said 300, you know, somewhat 300 somewhat guys. And I know you guys went bigger down the road, too um you got even bigger when you guys merged um but we'll get that in a second when you do get your own desk when you do get your own account it's not that you're an employee just trading on their account you have big costs every month that you have to meet yeah i mean uh, you, you're looking at
1: start you get a, you know bigger cuts just like anything the more you go but you know 30 35% you're taking home and then you're paying 12 to 20 grand in desk fees there? I mean, you had to make a lot of money. Granted, what they were doing allowed you to do that. But um, you know, as we're talking about, and we've alluded to in other episodes, uh the market conditions change and the competition changes. So you go into a market, which you talked about in your interview, where interest rates are low, there's no volatility, things aren't going anywhere and f- and f- for the spreads it's very hard because uh there's not only no volatility the markets get all jammed up and then there's you get mishedged everywhere because yep. the big block orders come through so it's it just it, it just became increasingly difficult to make money doing that and so um we had to adjust and for me in some ways this was about the point too so it's at some point in this story uh chopper gets acquired by drw
0: which is another really big trading firm if not one of the biggest i believe the owner has the most real estate in the city of chicago
1: yeah i mean yeah don wilson i mean he's he's a legend um of trading i mean you you can look him up and what they do there is incredible i mean that place is like uh i haven't even watched billions i've only seen previews but it's you know Massage. they they have like a masseuse that comes around and gives you massages and stuff like that. It's like all the foods catered
0: for breakfast and lunch every day. They're, uh, they're trade checkers in the floor. Some of the best paid guys on the floor. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, one thing that really threw me for a loop is at about this time I was kind of looking I to get, so I'd probably been trading my own account for I don't know, five or six years at that point. And I didn't know if I had it in me to do this job when it got hard is I was against my peers, what I was looking at is some of the people who I was working with like I was a fine trader I was doing just fine there but like there were some people who were absolutely killing it and had almost like this some sort of gift that well I don't think that I personally and everyone has to evaluate this themselves I didn't think that I had that or the dedication to keep on doing this. Cause in the back of my head, I knew I always wanted to do some other things. And I felt that closing a little bit. And because Chopper had done so well early, I was kind of afraid that I would be bitter in some ways of just kind of striving for the uh, good old days.
0: Right. Yeah. So I want to touch on the story. We teased it last week. Um, when you were at, when drw acquired or merged with chopper oh yeah your mom gets involved yeah. well
1: my mom my mom lost <laughs> a gig my, so my mom is a you know mo- mostly retired lawyer but she still works as an arbitrator um a uh, finra arbitrator which i forget what that stands for financial industry something anyway it regulates yeah. finance so she was an arbiter for financial industry cases and she had been i mean i was at shopper. No one ever cared. And then she got a letter one day once uh, I was uh, brought on uh, on board in the DRW. that was just like, sorry, your gig's gone. You can't do this anymore. So my mom calls me up. She's <laughs> not <happy. laughs> Jack, what did you do?
0: You lo- made me lose my job. Yeah. Well, especially since I wasn't even going to be there for that long. It, uh- <laughs> <laughs> so did she say, uh, quit your job and uh, so oh, I can stay working or is she no she, typical mom about it you do mom, your job like, I'll
1: figure it like, out you do yours and then I just kind of I got in my own head where we were trading in groups there too so see when I had my own account it was my account and mm-hmm. that to me there's a lot less pressure um in that setup than to be this is just me personally other people might feel differently than to be a, in a
0: co-group with two other people it's like a group project. The guy who does a lot of work in the group project's not a big fan of the group project. And the guy who doesn't do much work really loves the group project because he can kind of skate. Well, I don't mind. I would get in my head
1: because I don't mind blowing out. And when I say blow out, I don't mean, you know, blowing out. We just, that's what we use for hitting your daily loss limit. Let's say which they have, you know, just like the combine they have at every firm. Um, I don't mind hitting that in my own account if you know it's a reasonable frequency with what which it happens but it really got in my head when i was in with other people and i was directly losing their money and it's a tough thing to distinguish but that was tough for me and so i i found myself struggling that and that we were trading bigger and i got into uh trading more outright curve. And, uh, you know, like we say all the time, you got to do what the market gives you, and not what you want. Yep.
0: So I did not do that. (laughs) (laughs) So when Jack says do as the market, uh, do what the trade, what the market gives you, uh, he's speaking from past experience. Yeah. Say it as someone who uh, (laughs) lost
1: more than I think uh, (laughs) the top step account (laughs) tab,
0: um but yeah so it was uh time to move on (laughs) and obviously you didn't go right come right to top step you've had some interim you you took some more classes did some more schooling right you went and got your master's i went got my master's but this time too
1: i was um i'd started uh contributing for the onion
0: so i uh we've all been caught by those uh, catchy titles when someone posts an Onion article on a social media. Uh, you can blame Jack for those now. Yeah, I mean, if you look, if you look at my LinkedIn, I think I have a bunch of uh, of
1: headlines posted I did. But I, I got a fellowship there. So I, I went to business school, but then I left business school on a – what do you call it? <laughs> Brain fart myself here. <laughs> <laughs> a leave of absence or whatever to go. So I went and worked at the onion for six months, which was cool. Um, hanging out in the writer's room, then, uh, finished school and, um, wanted to kind of merge the content stuff and publishing I was doing with, uh, trading stuff. It just seemed like a natural fit. So I actually just found top step online and applied. And that's how I got here about two years ago. So it's, it, it's been good. Um,
0: You know, it's been a story ever since
1: it has, you know, it's nice being in um, my biggest problem sometimes with the prop firm is it, it, it's fun to build things or to actually kind of get your hands and do tangible things. Um, Some people are better about just making more and more uh, money. It's
0: difficult for me to try and do that sometimes. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. I just had a conversation with my brother. Um, actually, today, he's he's up here at my house. And we heard Elon Musk is now like the third wealthiest person in the world. He surpassed Buck, Zuckerberg or whatever. And we were kind of laughing and we're like, what would you do? He said to me, he goes, what, what would you do with all that money? I go, I don't think I'd get to that point where I had all that money. I think I would, if I hit my first billion. Be like, all right, I'm done. No one's ever going to hear from me ever again. Just give me my cash. I'm going to put it in a bank account, and, and I'm done. You know, Do some yes. investments here and there. I mean, my number's a whole lot lower than that. <laughs> I mean, right. So I could never be
1: a billionaire because five hundred. you have to be a 500 millionaire first. Or, I, mean, right. I guess if you have like a huge amount of – I'm fine letting stuff ride in the stock market and stuff like that. But I couldn't be one of those people that I would have never been able to uh, hold – Tesla stuff. I'm, I'm never going to be the guy that buys Amazon in 1997 because right, no
0: way. I'm sitting on those unrealized profits. Right, and I think it takes it takes a very special person. Once you get to that point, like okay, I've made enough money. You know, it, it takes someone to look at that and go, well, that's just not enough for me anymore. And I got to keep working. And I got to keep I got to keep trying new things. I think there becomes a point where, like you you kind of you kind of saw that writing on the wall. It Was that's here's my end. Well you ha- you have to
1: want to do it. I mean I, I right. like with any you really have to want to do it. And if you like and I am not throwing shade or anything at people that want to make a bunch of money. That's your prerogative. It's it's difficult for me to take it the trading instead of like these hundreds of millions of dollars. If you're a, a really good trader say, you know, making 2 million or something in revenue or something to me, it would just be hard even then to be like pushing for 3 million sitting around the clock. Um, But there's people that do enjoy that challenge
0: and can do it. So
1: more power to them.
0: Absolutely. It's there. I'm I'm right there with you. I think it takes that special person, that special drive and passion. Um, I'm personally of the nature that I just kind of enjoy um, taking some time off making enough to survive, put some away, invest some others, and just enjoy vacation time, um, enjoy life a little bit when I can, instead of, you know, always kind of grinding away. I, I got to step away every so often.
1: Yeah. And you don't want to end up on that wheel too, where I didn't see it as much in the trading industry, but with a lot of those high paying jobs, they just try and get you to, they want you to spend so that you need more and then oh yeah, keep you on that treadmill. Um, I. I don't have super expensive taste. I'm not an ascetic or something by any means, but you know, <laughs> I got my Coke zero. I'm drinking out of a six
0: flags promotional cup, <laughs> <laughs> but you got your dog, Rodney and uh, that's all you need.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got Rod, Rodney to pug. So, you know, I, I like, I'm comfortable where I am now. And I kind of, now the past years of tops have
0: gotten back into. I was just about to say, you're back into it now. I, I, I know you are. I know we had your former colleague on here um, a few months ago, and uh, he kind of said the same thing. He, he got burnt out a little bit, but he's looking for that chance to get back into it. Um, it seems like you've already kind of made those steps. I mean, you're pretty active with some of your options that you're trading right now. I know that for a fact. Um, and I don't think you're slowing up. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'll always
1: keep a section, like we say. I have some firewalled off money that I keep in account that I can, you know, do, do trades and stuff like that. But I'm not – I'm and maybe I will soon. Who knows? Um, I haven't got back into, you know, sitting down on the uh, – sp- I just call them spreaders. I know it'd be right. like a dome or whatever else.
0: but I, I call I, it a ladder. A ladder. That's okay. what I, I was always taught because it looked like a ladder and I've, I've – trained myself to now say dumb
1: i miss it like the thing is i'm a guy like i love action uh I, i'm lucky that i haven't fallen way down a rabbit hole of sports gambling or whatever else because um, because i don't but i do like to i'm definitely one if i have people over for the kentucky derby i'll you know i'll be the house on it give everyone a chance yeah. you know like I, I i like doing stuff like that i like
0: you know well and it's a good thing you're a big political better right uh, yeah. you enjoy kind of make it so it's a good thing. Elections are only every two years and two and four years. So that should, uh, should help things out. With oh no, I, w- I, w- I would have, I would have a heart attack I, I <laughs> sure. I really,
1: on the day after the election, man. I was, I was done. I had, I had just, uh, oh, man, just laid, just laid like half asleep on a sofa for like 14 straight hours and then work. <laughs> That's a nice remote, uh, nice about the remote setting. But right. uh,
0: you can kind of roll out of bed into your laptop.
1: Those have been settled. Well, hopefully, yeah, and I'll do it again in two years. But until then, just stick with uh,
0: options and uh, doing podcasts. <laughs> all right, I love it. Well, it sounds like uh, Jack's got a good story here, so I hope you guys have all enjoyed this. Um, Jack, it was fun kind of sitting on the other side here, getting to interview you, little learn a little bit more about you. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I did not know you were a mathlete um major mathlete man major mathlete state champion bring it up state champion how about that um so this was a really good time and typically this is where we would send you out and uh, we'd hear that fun little sound but uh we'll just keep rolling here right into the outro
1: yeah let's outro it up uh
0: things are gonna slow down a little bit we're near thanksgiving wait a second we left out if you've made it to this point Thanks so much uh, for listening to Top Step or to <laughs> Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. You know, the guy who pays our pills, uh, yeah. <laughs> signs our checks. Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving right around the corner after that Christmas, New Year's, just a few weeks after. Yeah. We got some winter packages coming from
1: Top Step. Uh, we got trading combine and reset bundles. That is also uh, uh, brought to you by the uh, man that signs our checks. We throw that out there. Yep. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Besides that, I'm just getting ready for you know doing a low key Thanksgiving, uh, getting tested on Saturday and then just doing like a small family get together. How about yourself? Perfect. You're in a barn, right? uh,
0: Yeah, we uh, my parents are doing are remodeling their house and so they rented a farm, um, uh, a big farmhouse and it's got this uh old, old, old barn converted into just a giant. I guess you could call it man cave of sorts. Um, so we're going to have some friends and family over there. Nothing, not too, too big, but uh, try and get as many people together as safely as possible. Well, very nice. Well,
1: everyone out there have a wonderful weekend. I hope that uh, everyone else's Thanksgiving is just as rocking as ours are. Hopefully <laughs> yeah, right. Thanksgiving. That's great too, I guess. Uh, anyway, namaste and trade. Well, The Limit Up podcast is produced by Dante32.